episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You can also find us on Brattleboro Community Television as well as Emily's YouTube channel. So, hey, it is 2021. I want to welcome all new and returning listeners to the first show of our third season. Oh my goodness. Can you believe it? I cannot, actually. <laughs> I'm so glad to be doing this with you. And the Me third too. season, that's incredible. It is incredible. There feels something magical about that, number three. So yeah. You like really know a show is going to last for a while when it gets to the third season, right? Yep. You're like, okay, yeah. it's got legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has and... a steady fan base. I don't know if that's true for us. but like. <laughs> but we keep showing up, which is how you get things done. Absolutely. And so folks who are just Especially joining, in small town democracy. That's the only way things get done is people show up. So welcome, regular contributor Emily Kornheiser, representative for the town of Brattleboro and newly sworn in as of Wednesday mm-hmm. to your second biennium. Indeed. Thank Yay! you. Applause. I have to say it was really sweet and touching to see the number of um, Wyndham County lawmakers who are friends with me on Facebook putting up their the photo of them swearing in at their desks. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, democracy continues despite all the mm, in the mm-hmm. world and yeah. D.C. <laughs> it really does. It's very... Um... Sometimes it's so peaceful as to be a little bit boring up here, but I would take that over the other thing any day of the week. Yes. Yes. Which I would like to just take a moment to touch in with both of us, because even though our show is very Vermont based and the work that we do tends to be very Vermont based, Vermont, as much as it tries, is not an island. Um, And as much as it tries, it's not a universe unto itself. (laughs) And we are impacted by things that happen elsewhere in the country and the world. And so as a lawmaker who is, you know, embarking on a new session in a pandemic, in the transition of power from one president to the next, not smooth power transition, but, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What are you thinking about right now? Um, What happened with the terrorist insurgency, essentially, in Washington um, is scary, yes. Um, What it revealed in terms of how easily um, folks were able to get into the Capitol building, um, what that means about sort of either the complicity of Capitol Police or the level of organization and preparation that that group was able to engage in without other flags being raised, um, red flags being raised, not Trump flags being mm-hmm. raised. Um, it's all really scary and it all tells a much longer, wider story. And so. I, um, as someone who's prone to be scared of fascism at every turn, I, I was expecting this. I was expecting more than this weeks ago. Um, you know, I think we've talked a little bit about Masha Gessen's work before, um, but this is, you know, this is what we knew was going to happen because we've spent four years either looking the other way or supporting it or complicit in some way um, with the rise of white supremacy all across the country um, and all across the world, including in Vermont. Mm -hmm. And there were Vermonters who went down on the buses. Yeah. And I'm curious how we're gonna hold those folks accountable in their communities. And I'm curious how we're gonna hold folks who haven't you know, spoken out yet accountable for what's happened. Um, and so for me at the end of the day, um, sort of adrenaline aside and deep 
empathy for the folks who work down there and the terror they experienced. Um, I'm, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, Olga, but I really, you know, more, this has been a year of so much being revealed to so many people. Mm -hmm. And as more becomes revealed, we're able to act on more and we're able to solve more problems. And at least here, rather than with COVID or, um, you know, incredible health disparities with people of color, it's a discrete number of people who have died. Um, and I mourn each of those losses, mm -hmm. but we, we have so much work to do. Yeah. And just because, you know, and I'm very confident that Biden is going to be sworn in and we are going to have a transition of power. Um, you know, you can see the, you can see people fleeing the ship now that, you know, now that things have been so firmly revealed, but I, it, the work isn't going to stop there. Mm -hmm. um, and we can't let it stop there and we can't, we can't stop organizing and talking and really doing like real work, mm -hmm. not just to hold people accountable in a real restorative, transformative way, but also to prevent the further rise of white supremacy, which is something that other countries have done very successfully mm -hmm. um, all over the world. You know, you encounter domestic extremism with really good progressive social and political programs. Um, but it's work you need to be mindful of and focus on and not just, you know, because you have someone who's kind and patient and cares about the rule of law at the highest office, just assume everything's going to be okay. So I guess I feel like we're, we're right in the middle of the work right now. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Emily. Mm -hmm. I have been, the irony for me is I was, when all this was happening in DC, I was actually working through the more than 200 page community safety review report that has just come out of the safety review committee in Brattleboro, looking at how the town deploys its resources for community safety, safety and who feels safe in the community and who does mm -hmm. not. Um, and as I'm working my way through this report, I get a text from a friend in London saying, what the heck is this? This is full on dictatorship was I think his text. So I was, what? And, you know, off I go to the news sources. And I think what I've been sitting with is, is similar to you, Emily. Um, but I was really sitting with, you know, as a journalist, when I see these things unfold, even though it's not Wyndham County based, it's like, if I need to, to write something about this or impart something to the community, how am I going to make it meaningful? And how am I going to make it useful? Um, so I was sitting with that and sitting with, and this is, I don't have an answer to, but also as a journalist, feeling that part of my duty is to support people's right to assemble mm -hmm. and their right to protest and their right to the First Amendment, regardless of whether I like what they're saying or not. And yet what happened in the Capitol is not okay with me. Um, and so sitting with like, okay, so how do I balance those two things? Mm -hmm. as a professional and an individual. And I admit, I don't have an answer yet. I am still sitting with them. Well, but, I mean, yeah, sorry, continue. Oh, no, but but like you, um, I feel that what happened, I, I felt really frustrated with everyone saying, well, let's, we need to call the 25th Amendment. We need to impeach him again. And I was, my frustration was, why did it take this long? Mm-hmm to get to this point. We should have yeah. done this like four years ago. Um, and so I think for me, what I'm feeling is just like the pandemic did not in many ways create new problems. Mm -hmm. It just, as you said, revealed them. And so, yeah, what Trump is not in a vacuum. No. And what comes next is 
that's what we need to keep asking ourselves better questions so we can create better policy and, and stronger, healthier communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and nip things in the bud sooner mm-hmm. rather than later. Um, you know, there was people there who were wearing like, you know, the line on Twitter where everything is snarky was like, they had merch, but like there was, you know, people wearing professionally printed sweatshirts that said like insurrection January. I'm sorry. I have no idea what today's date is or what yesterday's date was. Uh, uh, Whatever the date was that we're talking about. I'm so (laughs) embarrassed. That just happened and really killed my story. But, um, you know, like the date and it said insurrection and it was like, you know, with a guy with a gun, like on the sweatshirt, like this is not, this was not spontaneous. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think in a lot of ways, the difference between protest and a sit-in and a rally and what terrorism is, is guns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And violence. And violence. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I I Um, think, oh, sorry, go ahead, sweetie. Yeah. I wanted to um, sort of talk a little bit about the... Um, resolution that we passed yesterday in the House um, condemning the acts, but I can wait a moment on that if you have more to say. Um, I I think the last point I was going to make is uh, what I found interesting too was, I mean, for me, I tend to draw a line on violence. Like it kind of stops being a protest, an assembly or a sit-in when violence and fear are used, um, which is perhaps an arbitrary line for me, but it's my line. Um, but I think the other thing that surprised me is we don't know how many Trump supporters were working in the Capitol that day. Um, and it just, it makes me wonder like how many people, despite their job might've been to do something else, like, protect the capital. <laughs> mm-hmm. They didn't do it. Yeah. Um, and that, that is very uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And I, it's probably a wussy uncomfortable, but it's a, it's an uncomfortable all the same. No, I mean, I'm a, um, I read a lot of science fiction mm-hmm. and I have my whole life. Um, and especially like future, you know, um, future present, fiction as you know but it's a good genre it's a great genre but (laughs) you know the ideas around you know when we mix that with our understanding of you know how fascism rises or how coups happen um it is that's why i you know that's why i say we're sort of at the middle of the journey because Mm -hmm. what it took to get here was a very long, deep information campaign, misinformation campaign to bring all of those people along mm-hmm. who work throughout, you know, federal government, Vermont, you know, we just had a state trooper who was um, removed from his post because he was sort of, you know, part of this conversation, um, complicit in it. And it takes a long time to convince someone to sort of go against their um, oath of office or their obligations to um, justice or peace or whatever, you know, whatever a federal employee signs up for. And so, yeah, there were so many other turning points that we could have found. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess I'm sad it took this long, but I'm hopeful that maybe now we are at one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's no going back. No. <laughs> I hope not. Um, I hope yes. Not. So please take a uh, take a moment to talk about the the resolution that the the House passed it, and has it gone on to the Senate? It's going to the Senate today. Okay. Um, and it passed like 130 to 16, isn't it? It did. Well, so um, yes. <laughs> so it's a resolution, and usually a resolution. Um, such as this, people sign on to. And so those 113 people signed on to the resolution. Okay. Um, 
the a weird sort of trick of our new virtual procedure mm -hmm. is that when we vote electronically, um, it's considered the equivalent of a voice vote. Mm. But because of the way Zoom works, if we all did a voice vote, it would take like, it would be five minutes of yeses mm -hmm. and the noes, it wouldn't work. Um, Cause we can't become a chorus. <laughs> if you've ever tried to sing with anyone on Zoom, it's never works. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's technically a voice vote. It wasn't sort of a hundred and whatever to whatever it was, you know, it passed is really what it is okay. um, procedurally. But yes, there were some people who did not sign on to the resolution. And I think that's really important. Um, and it was quite explicit. Um, do you want me to read it? It's not very long. I think you should. Is, is that interesting? Okay. Yeah. Um, whereas on January 6th, 2021, President Donald J. Trump addressed thousands of supporters, urging them to go to the Capitol in support of his false claim that he won the 2020 presidential election. And whereas the president's supporters marched to the Capitol and violently stormed the building, attacking police officers, ransacking offices, terrorizing the members of Congress, enforcing the stoppage of the certification of President-elect Biden's electoral victory, and four people died as a result of the violence. And whereas the actions of this mob were not just criminal and lawless, they constituted a direct attack upon our democracy. And Whereas this attack was instigated by President Donald Trump, who is attempting to overturn the results of a fair and free election that he lost in order to keep himself in power. And whereas Governor Phil Scott forcefully stated that the fabric of our democracy and the principles of our republic are under attack by the president and called for President Trump to be re resign or be removed from office now, therefore be it. that the General Assembly condemns the storming of the US Capitol on January 6, 2021 as an attack on democracy and be it further that the General Assembly calls for President Donald J. Trump to resign or be removed from office by his cabinet or by the Congress and be it further resolved that the Secretary of State be directed to send a copy of this resolution to President Donald J. Trump, Vice President Michael Pence and the Vermont Congressional Delegation. Thank you. Yes. And so we voted on that without debate, um, which I think is a really interesting thing. Yeah. Um, so usually if people have strong feelings about things, they want a chance to say them. Mm -hmm. I think that's true of normal humans, but it's particularly true of politicians. <laughs> and um, there was, you know, and a number, a number of Republicans signed on to this clearly, and some didn't. Um, and all the progressives did, and all the independents did, I believe. I haven't actually counted them. Um, but I, by not, um, by not debating, I think we sent a very strong message that this is just true, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's very powerful. And we sent a very strong message that we don't want to hear from the voices of people who, you know, this isn't a time to hear the voices of dissent. There's mm -hmm. another time for that and it's not now. Mm -hmm. um, and that we stand together. But I worry that it's also quite frankly, um, a way of, papering over or being complicit in the ways that we are complicit here in Vermont and another opportunity for sort of Vermont exceptionalism mm -hmm. to stand in the way yeah. of doing the work. Yeah. Um, so what we did in some ways is we allowed the folks who didn't sign on by not having a roll call, by not debating, we allowed the folks who don't agree with this to stay in the shadows. Mm -hmm. And it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. Like, you know, we also didn't give them a platform. Right. Right. And so I, I'm not saying all of that to say that I disagreed with the way we did it. Um, I just, you know, there are 
pros and cons to everything. And I think it's worth naming. Um, yes. The dynamics of what happened. Well, and I think it's worth naming that even though this step was taken and it may have been a powerful step, it's only a step. And it can't be like, okay, we did our part, moving on. It's it's only a part of the work. Um, I, I appreciate what you said about Vermont exceptionalism because um, we're good at that. Um, <laughs> But but also, I think we as humans, one of our problems is that sometimes we define ourselves by what we're not. Mm, and we yes. say, well, we're not <laughs> D.C., so we're mm-hmm. fine. Yes. And it's like, well, <laughs> just because we're not D.C. doesn't mean we're fine. Mm-hmm. We still have our own stuff to do and take accountability for and change. Um, and I think I just want to name that, that we have to be so careful when you have such a huge flashpoint at DC right now and such a huge example that we don't just become complicit ourselves and be like, well, we're not that. Yeah. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Staying with um, the legislative session. Mm-hmm. And moving on from that that resolution, um, what does it feel like right now? Um, I know there are some lawmakers who are like, we need to focus on COVID and just COVID. And some lawmakers are like, nope, let's file these bills and keep moving. Um, what's the kind of sense at the in the legislature right now about next steps? in regards to DC, in regards to pandemic, in regards mm-hmm. to what Vermont need, just needs to get done. Yeah. Um, so just mechanically, um, which I think is really important for people to understand that sort of the mechanics of virtual legislating um, are different. And so they have limitations and benefits to them. We've talked about the benefit that everyone can watch everything we do. Um, But yesterday, for example, when we were going between joint sessions and floor sessions and trying to have committee meetings, there were just like this constant flow of different Zoom links Hmm. that we all had to be navigating with times changing. And is it the same Zoom? Like it was it was chaotic and confusing and very different from you're walking into the house chamber and someone reminds you that you're supposed to be in room 11, like because there's no one to remind you when you're like digging for the right Zoom link. Um, and all of that, it just makes things less efficient and democracy Mm. is not efficient to begin with. (laughs) Which in some cases is a strength and in some cases is just a cluster. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Again, you know, pluses and minuses to the inefficiency of democracy. Um, (laughs) but there, so we, we are not going to be able to get done as much as we want to get done just because of sort of the mechanics of how long t- things take and confusion. It takes us longer to vote on anything because we use this electronic system. Um, it takes us a little bit longer to debate things because there's always like, a, can you hear me? You're still muted, you know? Um, so there's all of that. There's also people you know, we've talked about this before, people struggle to act courageously when outside of sort of social context, Mm -hmm. Um, which is very reasonable again and human. And so pushing really hard legislation um, is probably not gonna happen this year because the softer, the conversations are sort of softer that um, round the edges of that difficulty aren't available. And when you're saying softer conversations, you're mm -hmm. meaning conversations that might happen over a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. or in the hallway of the state house or... Or even just like a look between people in a public forum that helps just like someone know that someone else is with them while they're doing the hard thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And so without that sort of... And, you know, like caucuses... Are very, party caucuses are a very strange beast, but what they, 
mean for a lot of people is that you have a team that's with you that's working on this thing. So if even if you're scared or hesitant to sort of act courageously in this one way, you know that you have all these other people with you who are going to have your back if you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that's really, it's hard to sort of have that as a felt experience, I think, mm-hmm. when you're legislating from your, you know, computer inside your house. Right. Um, so there are those things. And there's also, you know, Vermonters generally don't like change. <laughs> um, and there's so much change happening so rapidly right now. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a hesitancy to jump in the mix and say, I want more change. Let's change more things right now. Right? right. Um, and so I think that a lot of us are saying like, oh, there's enough happening. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't rock the boat more. Um, and so like one example of that is like a lot of the committee chair, most of the committee chairs stayed the same, even though we had a new speaker and we have a new pro tem, just as an example. Yeah, so, I thought that was interesting. Um, that said, we can't just do COVID relief, mm-hmm. partly because all of the committees are still meeting every day. Mm-hmm. And so they're going they to do things with their time. <laughs> they have stuff to do. Um, we also can't like lose two years on you know, climate change or mm-hmm. employment law or a whole host of things that like Vermonters need action 10 years ago on democracy is slow. We can't just like give up two years to it. Um, We've lost so much in this last year. We can't lose momentum on every issue we care about as well. I would also add since COVID actually, as we have said so many times on this show did not cause new problems. It just Mm -hmm. highlighted where we had weaknesses. Um, Yes. We can't afford to keep those weaknesses around in case there's another fill in the blank. So, and that's the thing. Um, When someone says we're only going to focus on COVID relief, that means very different things to different people. Hmm. Very, Hmm. very different things to different people. So from my perspective, if we're only going to focus on things related to COVID, I think we could do everything on like my entire agenda Um, (laughs) or many of my colleagues' entire agendas. But that includes like climate change legislation and... um, you know, a bunch of workers' rights and employment law issues and fixing the childcare problem and family medical leave. And like, those are all deeply COVID-related issues from my perspective. Mm-hmm. So we have to go to break here in just like a minute. But I want to ask you, Emily. So one thing that just occurred to me is when, now I know Tropical Storm Irene is a very different disaster mm-hmm. than covid However, the conversation that Shumlin, former Governor Shumlin, pushed during Irene is resiliency mm-hmm. and building things back stronger and more resilient. And I think that did have some positive changes in some of the infrastructure that we installed after Tropical mm-hmm. Storm Irene. But one thing I, have, I don't think I've heard, and maybe I've just missed it, is that conversation around resiliency and COVID. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard that. Is it happening and I just missed it? Or is it just not part of the conversation this time? It's certainly not what the governor is leading with. Okay. That's um, kind of where I was going. Yeah. And maybe when we come back from the break, we can talk about sort of the remarks, um, the state of the state address, and then um, the responses from the House and Senate about that. Fantastic. That's what we shall do. Stay tuned, everyone. The Montpelier Happy Hour on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro will return. Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You can also find us on Brattleboro Community Television and our new Montpelier Happy Hour Facebook page and the MontpelierHappyHour.Captivate.FM webpage. You can check us out in both places. Congratulations on doing the work on that. Why, thank you. And thank you for your patience while I figured out. No patience required. 
the new world. Well, thank you, darling. So let's touch base on the state of the state address, because I think with everything happening in D.C., a lot of it, it's just gone by a lot of Vermonters um, uh, bandwidth just kind of flew right past it. So for you, what were some of the key takeaways? Um, I should have known you were going to ask me that. Um, Do you want me to ask you a different question? No, it's fine. <laughs> um, so there is a, was a lot of talk, um, as we've sort of already touched on, about moderation and unity. Um, and as we've discussed many other times on the show, there are different ways to compromise and seek unity. Um, and one of them is watering everything down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the flavor of this speech from my perspective. It was very um, calming, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, is probably the appropriate tone for that a lot of people are seeking right now. Especially um, from a governor. Especially from a governor. Um and a lot of gratitude for frontline workers, um, National Guard and teachers. Um, and a lot of really, you know, some of the wrong exceptionalism that we do deserve around how we come together um, to take care of neighbors and um, how we have been all things considered very responsive to mm-hmm. um, mandates and you know social distancing and all of that um it is not very rich in content the remarks Hmm. but some threads i can pull um and if anyone is seeking to um follow it i highly recommend the governor's twitter feed or jane lindholm's twitter feed because um, you can just sort of scan through all the remarks fairly quickly and they're in little bite size, maybe to match the teleprompters, bite size um, pieces. So um, sometimes for me, that's a little better for my brain than watching yeah. someone talk in a slow, steady way. Um, so there are threads around the economy and um, how it can reach more corners of our state how a robust economy can reach more corners of our state. Um, But it's not clear how or um, for whom. Hmm. Okay. So um, again, is this about increasing wages for people in those corners of the state? That certainly wasn't highlighted. It was much, there was more language about business, businesses and the economy than there was about people and how they experience the economy. Right. Right. Which Um, has been a theme, I think, of the governor's. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so again, we are not using the phrase trickle down explicitly because we know that we're not supposed to use that anymore, but the ideas are still, still strong, (laughs) still strong in there. Um, the pig has a new form of lipstick. Is that what you're saying? The the new shade of lipstick? No, I think we just haven't even, it's like more that we're not, we're pretending it's not a pig anymore. Is that what the, I don't know what the lipstick thing means, Olga. I'm, I, I can't, I can't work with it, that one. I'm it sorry. means you're trying to gussy up something that really shouldn't be gussy Yeah, up. no, I think it's more than that. I think it's more that you're um, like using soy-based bacon, but pretending it's bacon or I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm gonna fail no matter what I try to say next. So. Um, Moving on. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, so there's a lot of sort of like lowering costs for businesses um, so that they can thrive and not a lot about, you know, um, so that they can pay living wages or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. hire more people or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then some conversation about education. And um, so again, starting off with this theme that I really agree with that like we've realized how important our schools are for families and kids and how important that is and how much we value it. Um, And then pivoting to um, what I think is sort of a hint around some more testing, but it's not really quite clear to me. There's stuff about sort of like literacy standards. Um, Mm. And um, 
the cost of education. Mm -hmm. um, a perennial topic in Vermont, yes. Yes. Um, and then early childhood being very important um, and a push to actually bring that in under the agency of education. Early care and education has, um, for folks who don't know where every piece of their bureaucracy is, early care and education has always sat in the Department of Children and Families in the Child Development Division. Right. And since pre-K was implemented, some of the funding for some of that sits in the agency of education. And so it's become a collaboration between the agency of education and the child development division. But um, he's very much saying that he's going to request that child development moves entirely into the agency of education. Hmm. And on the face of it, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, but what the way each of those agencies work is very differently. Right. And the child development division, the way they do their work, it's regu it's a regulatory division. Oh, um, right. Good point. And the agency of education is not regulatory. It could probably stand to do a bit more of that. Um, mm. But they really are essentially moving money and reports is the bulk of what they do. They do very little technical assistance for districts. Districts are left to do that on their own. And they tend to not regulate or enforce. Um, and so it would be a big shift to either bring regulation and enforcement to the agency of education, who is not really familiar with that, which might have some benefits, I don't know, um, or be really sort of releasing the child development division from that regulation and enforcement, which would have huge implications for the quality of early care and education. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then there's an inspiring story about Spanish flu, and then we're done. Okay. <laughs> you know, one thing that um, has, has struck me often when we talk about some of these big issues facing Vermont and different lawmakers, including the governor's approach to them. And, and I was, again, going back to DC and, and Trump's uh, video tweets about, oh, you're so special and you're right, but go home and be, you know, like having his cake and eating it too. Um, I've been thinking about language and what I find so fascinating about some of the language that has been moving through the state house over recent years um, is it's like big words that a lot of concepts can be put into, but there's no yeah. definition. Yeah. Um, like affordability. We've mm, talked about this before. So how, much, yes. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you say, yeah, we need to make Vermont affordable. And most people go, yes, we do. Mm -hmm. But the how and what affordable means and what it means for who. Widely distant definitions, I think, at times. And the governor state of the state has always, in my, you know, my limited experience, um, been a mix of those very broad, vague concepts. And then these like little minds, a very small nibble around the edges. I remember having this exact conversation with you last year. That's right. Um, these very small nibble around the edges proposals that are named very explicitly in the state of the state. Like um, he named mini TIFFs. Do you know what a mini tip oh, is, Olga? I, I do, but we should okay. explain it for listeners. I, I'm not going to. We can talk about it some other time, but like it's certainly not so important a concept that it deserves to be in the state of the it, state. That's it's all an I economic development contest, basically. And like a very small tool in the toolbox that yep. often doesn't work very well at all. So it's just it's just funny, like these little these little nibble around the edges minds that are very explicit, um, but are not really connected they're certainly not going to solve or remedy or um, create change around these huge concepts that are sort of floated through um, the speech. Mm -hmm. And so, so he can say, I care about affordability in the economy and I'm going to do mini tiffs. And then when we don't do mini tiffs, he'll say, the Democrats, they don't care about the economy and affordability, but like many, it, it's not, mm -hmm. they're not robust theories of change, I guess is all I'm going to say. So I have a kind of a dumb question to ask. I doubt that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm feeling I should know the answer and I just don't. So 
here's my question. Okay. So prior to the legislative session starting, does the governor, Scott, Shumlin, whomever, it happens to be governor, and whomever happens to be House and Senate leadership, do they all get together and say, okay, here are what we think Vermont needs. Here are some of the things we care about. Let's all get on the same page so we're rowing the boat together. Um, or at least we know where we're not rowing the boat together. Like, do they have any kind of meeting to kind of... Um, I think that would probably be a better question to ask of um, either Senate or House leadership, maybe next time they come on the show. Okay. But um, I, my understanding is it's very different from different administrations. Gotcha. And the Scott administration has been fairly famous for um, the way they don't mm -hmm. participate in those conversations and will this wait until the very last minute to say no. Mm -hmm. um, that's not of interest to us, um, including, you know, you'll ask members of the administration who you're involved in active problem solving with, you know, agency heads, et cetera, um, questions. And they'll say, I can't answer that until the governor's budget comes out, you know? And so we spend weeks working on things that we, you know, would have certainly been better with further content and context. And so mm -hmm. that's like, there's a lot of sort of political gamesmanship involved in that lack of transparent communication. Can you hear those dings when they happen? No. Great, great, okay. That's good, that means you can't hear my heating system popping. Okay. No, but this is like internal to my computer. So it must be somehow like isolated from you, it's great. Yay. Um, <laughs> So, so no, we have our own agenda and I think we actually broadcast our agenda fairly broadly mm -hmm. um, and transparently. And certainly when the speaker and the pro tem spoke last night, um, I watched on WCAX. I think there's probably a lot of other opportunities to listen or hear it. They were very transparent about sort of where the priorities are. Um, that's, you know, childcare and broadband and other aspects of recovery from there. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of sort of the really big lifts, that will be where it is. Okay. So how about committees? Because usually that's where a lot of the work, the actual work on bills happen yes. is committees. And I went through and I just looked for Wyndham County mm -hmm. and it doesn't look like a lot of changes. Carolyn Partridge is still the chair mm -hmm. of Ag and Forest. Um, it, I mean, we have some new members such as Michelle Boslin, who was put on, uh, corrections and institutions and Leslie Goldman, who was added to healthcare, but I don't, there's actually, oh, vice so, chair, you're vice chair of ways and means. That's I am new. vice chair of ways and means, Olga. Thank you. Congratulations. Um, thank you. So that's quite exciting. Um, and a big change. We have not, and Tristan Tolino was assigned to appropriations. Okay, that's new. And that is new. And oh, okay. so Vermont yeah. actually has not, until I was moved to Ways and Means um, mid-pandemic mid um, in the spring, Vermont, Wyndham County had not actually had someone on a money committee for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And so now we have the two of us, um, you know, me as vice chair on Ways and Means and Tristan on appropriations, which is Fantastic. We also, Sarah Coffey is vice chair of corrections and institutions, um, which has its own budget attached to it mm -hmm. um, and is going to do a lot on criminal justice reform right? and on clean water, which are two things that Wyndham County cares very much about. Mm -hmm. um, and then having someone from Wyndham County on health care um, is really huge and important. Leslie's a great person to be there. She has, you know, been working in the healthcare field her entire career um, and in a number of different roles. And so between the retreat and sort of ongoing conversations around the BMH network um, and what that means, I think it's gonna be really important that we have someone mm -hmm. um, and someone knowledgeable and capable on healthcare. And yes. so those are all, those are all really exciting um, pieces. And then 
Laura Sibelia on energy and tech is important too, because they, they do the broadband. They do the broadband. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that Laura has been leading on um, and something really important to, you know, we have this really sort of front of the pack communications union district Mm -hmm. in our region, partly because of the work of Laura. Um, And then rep John Gannon, who's also a Wyndham County rep is staying as vice chair of GovOps and is really leading the charge on redistricting, um, which is something that's gonna have a huge impact on Wyndham County. Okay. Because we've had such population shifts in the last 10 years. And so that's gonna make a big difference. And it's re- I'm really grateful that we have a Wyndham County rep on that too. Mm-hmm. Um, we have two. Yes, Mike yes, Maricki's we do. There as yes, well. and Mike Maricki's there as well. Um, so yeah, it's been, you know, and Molly is still on transportation, bless her heart. Um, I don't even think I could do it for two years and she loves it. <laughs> um, and it's incredible, you know, to have someone from Wyndham County on that too. Like the Route 9 corridor is very contentious. Mm-hmm. Um, really important that we have her there and then she's been like beating this drum and for years very much in isolation about alternative transportation yeah and she finally you know is finally has enough colleagues that she's able to see some movement on that and that's going to be really powerful as we when I think about COVID recovery and when I was sort of earlier talking about, I can see a nexus between COVID and so many issues, mm-hmm. transportation changes are a huge one of those, right? Like there are a lot of people who are now working from home much more and might into the future. What does that mean for how many vehicles they need? I know at my house, we have two vehicles, we have three drivers. And before this, I was like, oh my God, do we need a third vehicle? That's disgusting. But now I actually have to go out of my way to remember to alternate vehicles I'm driving to make sure that they get started regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of things about that, how we think about Medicaid rides and school busing and sort of both health and safety with related to that, but also how we can better integrate those systems mm-hmm. so that folks who live in rural areas are able to get places without right. the vehicle. I think that's really huge as our population ages even more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of lot of fun action. I hope I, I now I'm scared that I missed something. Um, Kelly Pajala, we didn't mention Payala. that she's on Payala. Sorry, it's okay. Um, I'm not Kelly. <laughs> you don't have to apologize to me. And <laughs> Kelly being on Human Services, um, and she's been she's one of the um, members that's been on that committee for a long time. They are leading the charge on childcare. She's been really involved with that. She's on the after school um, working group. Mm, which is okay. really um, tasked to find a solution to the after-school challenges and funding challenges for that in our state. And so she's going to do some great work on that um, and is able to do it from the perspective of someone who lives sort of outside of the regular metro areas. Yeah. Um, and so I'm confident that she's going to be advocating for solutions that meet the needs of everyone in Wyndham County, not just Brattleboro folks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's really great. Yeah, if folks aren't aware of some of the childcare legislation that Vermont has worked on in recent years, um, it's worth a look if you feel like being geeky. Because one thing that's always impressed me about that big childcare bill that came out last session—did we do a show on that? We did, we did. Um, and I will try to find it and put it on our Facebook page as a reminder. But one thing that's always impressed me about that bill is it. It didn't, it focused on childcare, but focused in all the ways that what intersected mm-hmm. with childcare. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that this is kind of a great way. I hope we see more bills like this. And we're going to do that again this biennium. Yay. Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, um, Michelle being on Corrections and Institutions, she was put there because her background is in, you know, her work life is in restorative justice. She worked at the Broadway Restorative Justice Center. And so having someone with some on the ground experience of Mm re-entry is going to be really huge there. Right. That's a great point. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And sorry, no, go ahead. This is one of the ways that um, we talk a lot about how the committees create silos in systems. Yeah. And one of them is that, um, our restorative justice system in Vermont on the ground is often quite integrated between pretrial and release. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's the same people who are sort of working on those issues. Right. But in the legislature, that's divided between judiciary and corrections institutions. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so I'm really excited that we have sort of people with expertise on both of those committees on these, you know, who have worked in those systems. And so that's really exciting. That is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Thank you for bringing that And up. I know that that's a huge theme in um, the report from the Brattleboro's Community Safety Committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is also on the brattleboro.org website, um, right on the homepage in the right hand sidebar. And I recommend people check it out because it's a really well-written, very in-depth report that um, makes connections between different parts of the community that I think traditionally have been siloed Mm -hmm. um, and, and people's experience of them that are really, really important and key. Um, Fantastic. Any other thoughts on committees? I mean, how about for you as a vice chair? How are you seeing your committee life change? What are you excited about? I see your face lighting up. I am lighting up because I really have no idea. I'm very (laughs) excited. Um, I am, as probably anyone who's ever watched the show or met me, I'm a very high context person. Um, I like as much information about any situation as I can possibly get. And so being vice chair means that I will, you know, be able to be part of conversations that I wasn't a part of before. Um, And so that will be wonderful. Mm -hmm. I am, you know, it's really interesting to think about tax policy in um, the context of the pandemic and pandemic recovery. Yeah. Um, Because as we know, you know, it's further exacerbated the rich getting rich and the poor getting poor Um, in terms of it's really split the middle class. Mm, in a way that wasn't quite split before. Yep. Um, And we've we've talked about this sort of K-shaped recovery before. And so that's really interesting to think about. Um, And that we're moving sort of more towards um, individuals with wealth. And, you know, while we have a lot of businesses that are struggling, and that's sort of another interesting twist as well. Mm. So that will all be, that's going to be fun. I'm excited for the new opportunity. It also is just a really um, heartening honor. I often feel like such a troublemaker <laughs> to know that um, people asking too many questions, um, you know, sharing my perspective too often. And so to, to have that show of confidence um, from both my chair and from house leadership is really heartening mm-hmm. in terms of what is possible in Vermont politics. Yes. I, I, I think um, for your birthday, I'm going to give you a t-shirt that says good troublemaker. Aw, thanks. <laughs> it's in October, so we're going to have to wait a while. Oh, we will. That's right. Yeah. Oh, well. You oh, have well. something to look forward to now. I do. I do. I didn't until this moment, but now I have something to look forward to. <laughs> um, looking ahead uh, for the next coming weeks, I know a lot of things are in in play in the state house, anything listeners should be paying attention to? Um, the first thing that's going to be moving and like really much faster than we usually have a bill moving is a bill about town meeting. Um, oh yes. Which is, um, does not change anything for Brattleboro at all. And mm-hmm. so if people catch wind of it and get concerned, Brattleboro essentially has a carve out because of our strange and special town meeting right. situation. That um, happens later in the month. That happens later. It's actually not that it happens later that makes us so special. It's that we know who's going to attend. Uh, yep, yep. So um, in having conversations about town meeting and moving town meeting to a virtual format, it didn't... Um, feel possible and just to be moving it virtually for communities who couldn't do explicit outreach to every single person and the level of technical assistance that Mm. Brattleboro engaged in Mm -hmm. to make sure that every town meeting member had a place to connect and a way to connect and understood how the technology worked. Right. Um, So in other communities, town meeting is something you wander into. rather than some people are sort of explicitly expected to go there. And so because of that, um, this legislation enables Australian ballot for communities that have not done that before for their town meeting provisions Mm -hmm. or to push town meeting. 
um, communities have a choice of that, but they don't have a choice of going virtual, whereas Brattleboro is still able to do that. Gotcha. Okay. And we already do Australian ballot for a bunch of our um, on town meeting day. We have Australian ballot voting. And so that's going to stay the same way it always is, though I imagine um, we'll be able to mail those ballots. I have um, not checked with our town clerk about that yet. We were no, not mailing those ballots. At the last um, select board meeting, Hillary Francis, Brattleboro's town clerk, recommended that they keep to the traditional system of if you want a ballot, you need mail to you, you need to request it. Oh, okay. And the select Great. board agreed with that. So yes, okay. if you're in Brattleboro and you want your ballot mailed to you, request it. Okay. And you so can nothing request has changed. it for the whole year. Yeah. And is the town clerk's office going to um, be open? Are they open now? I know they didn't used to be open before. Oh, so if you want to vote in person at the town clerk's office, you mean? Mm-hmm. That, I'm going to say probably not. She did say something about that, but I don't remember what it was. Um, but I think it was probably not. Okay. So you'd either have to get a ballot and mail it back, mm-hmm. mail to you, or vote on voting day um, okay. at the polls. Or um, my guess, and maybe we should do some more research and talk about this more, Um you could make an appointment to pick up a ballot and then drop it in the drop box. That is probably, I would, mm-hmm. I will double check that because I actually think I have to write an article about it. Oh, well, um, once so. you learn about this for your article, um, listeners are welcome to go read Olga's article, or maybe we can just sort of do a quick check in about this next week. Yep. Um, so, anyway, that's the legislation that's going to be moving the fastest um, because it's sort of nex- necessary. Um, And then there were a few deadlines or sunsets that we put in COVID legislation um, because we thought it was going to end sooner or something. Um, (laughs) So there's some workers comp legislation that I think we've talked about before on the show that has a sunset of January 15th. Um, That's going to need some quick action. Um, Some issues around unemployment insurance and how much employers pay is going to have some quick action. Um, And I'm sure a few other things that I do not know about. Okay. And then, you know, the other thing that I'm so sorry I didn't start with or lead with is the Biden administration. Um, And actually, pre Biden administration, there is money that is coming here that has come here. Um, So, figuring out how to spend that is Mm going to be um, a pretty key chunk of time and effort. And Um, unemployment insurance, Mm -hmm. the extra $300 that was in that bill has already started being paid out for folks. Great. Um, And the other piece of that that is even more important, I don't know if it's more important, it's equally important, is that folks who um, maxed out their benefits, Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of people who maxed out their benefits at the end of December, actually. Yeah. Um, That has been extended. Okay. And so... Both of those things are very exciting. Yeah, very fantastic. Okay. Yeah. So and once again, public busy. service announcement, if you're having trouble with the unemployment insurance system and you need help, please feel free to get in touch. Yes. I do not make magic, but sometimes I can raise a flag. Yeah. Uh, a word to all, even if you're not getting in touch with Emily and you're getting in touch with a, another lawmaker, don't wait. Do it sooner rather than later if mm-hmm. you're struggling. Because the sooner you can you can kind of disrupt the, the struggle, the better. <laughs> yes. So we, unfortunately, are out of time. Um, this hour just went by so fast. It's so fun to oh. reconnect. Oh, my goodness, it has. It really yeah, has. It's so good to talk to you, Olga. <laughs> so quickly, do you have a toast for our listeners? Or I can toast. To, to a new year. With new ideas and new solutions and a fresh look at democracy. I love it. Here, here. Mm. And napkins. Napkins to napkins. <laughs> well, everybody here on 
the Mount the Montpelier Happy Hours show. You can find us at 2 p.m. on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You can also on Fridays. You can also find us at the Montpelier Happy Hour as well as our Montpelier Happy Hour uh, Facebook page. Emily, if people have questions for you. You can call me, email me, text me, come to my weekly community conversations every Saturday at 10 a.m. via Zoom. And how to do any of those things, you can find at my website, emilycornheiser.org. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend.